Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. In chapter 4, we'll get there in just a moment. It was a historic day. The day was July 20th, 1969. Of course, I wasn't born yet, but uh, some of you may have been around. You may have remembered what happened on July 20th, 1969. Anybody remember that fateful day? It was the day that the Apollo 11 landed on the surface of the moon. It was the mission to have a lunar landing with actual human beings stepping foot on the surface of the moon. Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, they landed on the Sea of Tranquility. Mission accomplished. The very first lunar landing with human beings landing on the surface of the moon. Just nine years earlier, President John F. Kennedy had a dream that by the end of the 60s, the United States would be the first people to have a man on the moon. And it was a major victory for the United States in the space race against Russia. A major mission. You can think of many famous missions in the history of the world. Apollo 11, a great mission. What about D-Day? Maybe you weren't there. Hopefully you weren't there. D-Day was the day where the troops landed on the coast of Normandy. And it signaled the end of World War II, the great mission to go against Nazi Germany. How many of you remember Lewis and Clark, the first expedition, the first mission to reach the Pacific Ocean? Lewis and Clark, mission. Apollo 11, a mission. D-Day, a mission. There was a great mission that happened in 1492. What happened then? Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He, he opened a whole world to, uh, to Europe, to, to, to the Western Hemisphere. Great missions. We resonate with missions, with a mission. Maybe some of your sports teams this weekend accomplished a mission. Maybe you're rooting for your favorite team to accomplish the mission of winning the championship. Maybe at your job this year, you have a mission that you want to accomplish in your career. Or maybe just in 2011, for your life, you have a a mission that you want to accomplish. We all resonate with wanting to accomplish a mission. Mission accomplished. What if I told you that the greatest mission ever accomplished wasn't the landing of the lunar craft there on Apollo 11. It wasn't Christopher Columbus. It wasn't Lewis and Clark. It wasn't D-Day. What if I told you the greatest mission ever accomplished was Jesus coming to seek and save the lost? We are very familiar at this church with the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But how often do we couch it in terms of being on a mission? You see, there's a key word that shows up all throughout the gospel, All throughout the New Testament. It's the Greek word apostello. We get our word apostle from the word apostello. It means to be sent 
on a mission. In the ancient culture that Jesus and Paul lived, there were envoys, there were ambassadors, and they were sent with the authority of a king or the authority of a dignitary to go and give a message. They were sent on a mission. They went with the authority of the king, in the name of the king, with the credentials of the king, with the message of the king to go accomplish a mission. They were apostles. They were apostello. They were sent ones. And so Jesus is the sending agent. God is the ultimate one who sends us. It's a divine authorization to be sent on a mission by God. As a matter of fact, you can say this. Jesus is the consummate sent one himself. Do you realize the Bible says Jesus is an apostle? Now, when we think about an apostle, we think about the what? The 12 apostles, Paul the apostle. But do you realize that Jesus is actually called an apostle? In Hebrews 3, 1. It says this about Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Apostle just means Jesus was sent on a mission. He was sent on a mission. As a matter of fact, over 40 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I have been sent. The Father has sent me. I have been sent. I have been sent on a mission. Apostello is the word that's used there over 40 times. Now, we're not going to look at all 40 occasions this morning for the sake of time. But what I want to show you is a pattern of this whole idea of Jesus being sent on a mission. So let's look at John chapter 4. And we're just going to be... By the way, today's going to be Bible drill, so just get your Bibles ready, Okay. A lot of the scriptures will be up on the screen, but we're going to be basically in the gospel. So let's start with John here. John 4, 34. We're just going to look at a few passages of scripture. We're going to just kind of look at this pattern of, of what Jesus says about himself. John 4, 34. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus says, God has sent me. My, my, my mission is to do his work, to complete his will of, of him who sent me. Okay, let's turn over to John 6. John chapter 6. Look, and I love the, the turning of your pages. That sounds really cool from up here. John 6, 38 through 40. John 6, 38 through 40. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God has sent Jesus on a mission to gather a people, to die for a people, to make sure that he doesn't lose those people, and that all who believe in Jesus would have eternal life. God has sent Jesus on a mission. Okay, let's turn over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 Verse 28. We'll just continue to see this pattern. John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And He was saying these things. Many believed in Him. Jesus has been sent to bring the authority of God, to teach on the authority of God, to do things that are pleasing to God, to be sent on a mission to to do the will and the work of God. Okay, let's look at John chapter 12. 
John chapter 12, 49 and 50. <clears throat> Excuse me. John chapter 12, 49 through 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Again, Jesus says, the Father has sent me. I've been sent on a mission. Apostello, I've been sent out. Okay, let's look at John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is moments before Jesus goes to his death, before he's being arrested, he's in the garden. He's praying to his Father. We get to see the heart and mind of Jesus as he's praying to his Father. Let's listen to some of the words of Jesus' prayer. John seventeen three, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have, what? Sent. Look at verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and come to know the truth that I came from you, and, that, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 25, O righteous Father, even the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Jesus has been sent. Over 40 times he says, the Father has sent me. I'm on a mission to, to teach, to preach, to, to do the will of the Father, to, to glorify the Father, to speak on the authority of the Father, ultimately the mission to, to die on the cross and, and rise again on the third day to bring glory to the Father. So let me just ask you a very weird question. Was Jesus a missionary? And you probably, hopefully you're shaking your head, yes. And we often don't think of Jesus as a missionary. What does a missionary do? A missionary leaves their culture, leaves their home. They go to a new culture. They learn the language. They learn the food. They learn the customs. They, 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 they plunge themselves into the culture. They try to be salt and light. They try to impact the culture. They, they go cross-cultural into a new context to try to reach people with the gospel. And so what did Jesus do? Where was his home? Heaven. He left the culture of heaven and came to the culture of earth as a missionary. He, had, he was born into a family, Mary and Joseph. He took a job. He was a carpenter. He, he identified with us. He, he, he came as a human being, fully God, fully man. But he left his home in heaven, the culture of heaven, went cross-cultural into a new culture, earth, to identify with us, ultimately to die for us and rise again. I mean, John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this. And the word became flesh, that's speaking of Jesus, and he dwelt among us, he lived among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This Jesus who came to live with us took on, added humanity to his divinity, and he experienced all the same things we experience, except for one issue. He didn't sin. Hebrews four fifteen through 16 speaking of Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus has experienced everything we have, except for he never sinned. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus is the ultimate missionary. He left the culture of heaven, came to the culture of earth to accomplish a mission 
to engage in the life of this world, to take on humanity, being fully God, fully man, to accomplish his mission. And in a sense, we can say Jesus accomplished his mission, didn't he? He lived 33 years on this earth. He always did what was pleasing to the Father. They nailed him to a cross. They put him in the tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and he is accomplishing his mission as, 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 the, as the reigning God in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Mission accomplished for Jesus. But, can we say that the mission of God has been accomplished? The ultimate mission of God. Just because Jesus has accomplished his finished work, does it mean that the mission is over? No, as a matter of fact, on five times, on five occasions, right before Jesus goes back up to the Father, he looks his apostles in the eye and says, here's what your mission is. And by consequence, he looks us in the eyes and says, here's what your mission is. Mission accomplished for me, I'm at the right hand of the Father. I'm seated because my mission is done, but I've got a mission for you. So what is the mission for us? If Jesus went on a mission, he accomplished his mission, and he's sending us on a mission, what is the mission that he's sending us on to accomplish? Well, we're very familiar with these. And we're going to look at these in order of the gospel. So turn back to Matthew. We're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going to just kind of go back through the gospels. Turn to the end of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Actually, let's look at 18. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. These should not be verses that you're not familiar with. These should be very familiar to you. These are the last words of Jesus to his people before he goes back up to heaven. He gives us very clearly what the mission is. This is called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's the command? What's the mission? Make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Be a disciple-making people. Make disciples. Okay, what does he say in Mark? That's what Matthew says. Let's turn over to Mark, the end of Mark, Mark 16, 15. I promise after this, all your flipping will be done once we get to this little section here. Mark 16, 15. Okay, Matthew, Jesus says, your mission, make disciples. What's, what does Jesus say in Mark our mission is? Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. Share the gospel. Tell the gospel to all creation. Make disciples. Make disciples. Gospel. Preach the gospel. Okay? Let's go to Luke. Let's see what Luke has to say. Luke 24. Right before Jesus ascends. In Luke 24, verse 46. Luke 24, 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Again, proclaim. Proclaim what? Forgiveness of sins. Proclaim repentance. Preach the gospel to all creation. You're going to have to wait, though, because you're going to have to be clothed with power from on high. Now, how many of you know that there's a sequel to the book of Luke? Does anybody know that? What's the sequel to the book of Luke? 
Acts. Acts is part two. Acts is a sequel. Acts is written by Luke. As a matter of fact, if you just look at sheer volume of Bible in the New Testament, Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament, more so than Paul, if you just look at sheer chapters. So let's skip over John and look at the sequel. We'll come back to John. Skip over John and look at Acts 1.8, the sequel to Luke. This is number four, the fourth time before Jesus goes up. He tells his church what the mission is. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be powered to be witnesses. Okay, so we take all these together. Make disciples, proclaim the gospel, preach repentance, be a witness, be empowered by the Holy Spirit. All these things are what Jesus has commanded us to do. Now, go back to John for just a moment. Go back to John. And remember what we've been talking about all this time about sent. How many times did Jesus say he was sent? Over 40 times. I've been sent. I've been sent. The Father sent me. The Father sent me. I've been sent. Now look at John 17, 18. This should not be surprising to us. John 17, 18. Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Who's the them? Us. Jesus has sent us into the world. Apostello. Okay, turn over to John 20, 21. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am what? Sending you. So, church, do we have an option whether we're going to be sent or not? Jesus is very clear that we've been sent on a mission. And I think if you take all of these passages together, these, these five times that Jesus commissions or gives the church's mission, I think it very succinctly comes together in Emmanuel Baptist Church's mission statement. When you think about our mission statement here as a church, this is what our mission is. And there, there, there are three G's we talk about. Number one, we exist to display God's glory. Everything is about God's glory Emmanuel Baptist Church. Number two, we declare God's gospel. Everything is about the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, about proclaiming, preaching, teaching, telling the gospel. Number three, we disciple for God's great commission. We make disciples. We're not just interested in decisions for Christ, although those are important. We're interested in disciples, the process of people growing more and more to be like Jesus. So our mission, if you take all these together, is to glorify God to declare his gospel, and to make disciples. That's the mission. It's very clear. Jesus has not left us uh, to, to guess what the mission is. It is to be making disciples of all nations through the proclamation of the gospel to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And we can go in the confidence of what Jesus has done when we go out with this mission because Jesus has bought the church. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That word redemption just means Jesus has bought us. We can go in the confidence of accomplishing this mission because Jesus bought us. He purchased us. We are his. We are blood-bought children of God. We can go with the confidence to do this mission because he's bought us. But secondly, not only has he bought us, but Jesus is building the church. 
He's building his church. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This gives me great encouragement. Who builds the church? Jesus. Do we have to worry about building the church? We are not called to build anything. We are called to proclaim the gospel. We're called to make disciples. We're called to do the mission. But Jesus leaves the job of building the church up to him. It's his church. He will build it. But lastly, he sent us. He's bought us. He's building us. But he sent us. My dad gave me a book over Christmas called Live Sent by a young pastor in Florida, and he gave a pretty good illustration. He said, a lot of times what we look at church is this. We look at church on Sunday morning as a gas station. We all come to get filled up, right? We come to get filled up. We come to get fed. We come to get our needs met, and then we can go out in the world having been fed so that we can go out and face the world. But he says sometimes that's very consumeristic. That's very self-centered. Actually, what Sunday morning should be more like is a post office, What's a post office? All of our lives are a letter to the world. A post office is a place where you gather and sort mail to send it out. How many of you have email? Hopefully a lot of you. Does your inbox get filled up a lot? You got a lot of inbox? Okay, what would happen if you, what's, is email one-way communication? It's two-way. What would happen if you had a bunch of draft emails in your draft account and you never sent them? They're saved, but what? Not sent. That's a lot of the way the church is. We're saved, but we're not sent. That's not true Christianity. Christianity means we're saved to be sent. We have been saved to be sent out on a mission. Now, at this point, you can get very excited about the mission. Yes, we're called to go on this mission to reach the world, and we should be excited, but we also need to understand our culture, the culture in which God has placed us. Remember, Jesus came as a missionary to a culture, We are missionaries to our culture. What's our culture? Whether we like it or not, it's northeastern Colorado. Have you ever thought about this? The church is a missionary. You are a missionary. Oh, no, I'm not a missionary, Sean. Missionaries are people that go over to foreign countries. Yes, those are career missionaries. But you have no choice whether you're going to be a missionary. Jesus said, I am sending you. See, oftentimes what we've relegated missions to is a program. We have a missions program. We have a missions offering. And there's nothing wrong with that. We just had our Lottie Moon offering. It was one of the highest offerings we've had in a long time. I think we almost reached our goal of 5,000. It's good to have missions emphases, a missions program, a missions offering. But see, missions is not a program. Missions is who we are as a church. The church is considered to be a missionary. It's not what we do. It's who we are. It's not relegated to just a program. Let me introduce you to a new word if you haven't heard this word before. It's kind of a buzzword. It's been around for 10 or 12 years. I don't know if I quite like it, but it's the best thing that's that's around right now. It's the word missional. Missional. It's an adjective. Okay? What's an adjective? An adjective modifies a noun. Who are nouns? We're nouns, right? We're people, place, and things. We're people. Missional should describe how we as a church live how we as people live. Do you have a missional lifestyle? Is your life missional? In other words, does your life serve the mission? Does your life serve the mission of displaying God's glory, declaring God's gospel, and discipling for God's great commission? Do you see yourselves as being sent on a mission by Christ himself? 
So if we are to be sent as a missionary, and we're all missionaries, you all have a culture, you're all sent, you need to understand your culture. Tim Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, has been very helpful to my generation of pastors in helping us understand how to reach culture uh, without compromising the gospel. And this is what he says about American culture. And I agree with him. He says that American culture, when they look at Christianity, there's one of two responses. One is ambivalence. The other is shock. Ambivalence. Let's deal with that one firstly. Ambivalence just basically means... Yeah, if it's good for you, cool. It doesn't really make a difference in my life. It's, I don't really see the big deal. I'm kind of bored with Christianity. Don't bother it with me. I'm not really offended by it. It just doesn't do anything for me. I'm just kind of ambivalent towards it. It's, it's okay for you. If the Christians want to do those things, let them do it. But it's, it's not a big deal to me. Ambivalence. The other attitude is shock. I can't believe Christians actually believe that Jesus is the only way. I can't believe they believe the Bible. This may mean hostility or persecution. It's the other extreme of uh, they don't just care, but they, they care in a pretty hostile way. Now, in my, in my mind, I would rather them be shocked than ambivalent because at least you're doing something. If they're shocked, hopefully they're shocked by the church living out the gospel and you're living out the truths of Christianity and your life's not just so blending in with the world that they're ambivalent, that they at least see something there that, that shocks them. And so... One of the things that I would like for our church to be thinking about is um, really reaching out to lost people by running a class. It's called Christianity Explored. A lot of churches are doing it. It actually comes out of England. Christianity Explored is a 10-week class. It either meets in a home, you have a meal. meets at the church, you have a meal. This is not a Bible study. This is not even for Christians. This is a place where non-Christians come and they hear the claims of Christ in a safe place. It is geared strictly through the gospel of Mark to introduce people to the Bible in a non-threatening environment. And so it's not like an in-depth Bible study or it's not even a small group. It's, It's an exploration class. And from this study, the authors have really given us, as I've studied it, Three, three, three responses that, that, that non-Christians have towards Christians. And maybe you've met somebody that has these, these, these experiences. Number one, he says that people say Christianity is weird. You ever had anybody say that? You're just weird. Christians are weird. Uh, they, they go to church and they, they sing these songs to Jesus and they clap their hands and the guy gets up and talks for 40 minutes about who knows what and they're all reading their Bibles. Christianity is just weird. Response number one. Response number two, Christianity is irrelevant. It doesn't have anything to do with my life. There's, there's nothing there I, I see that's beneficial to me. You can do your thing, and that's cool, but I don't see any value for my life. Third response is you get people who just don't write believe. They're, they're skeptical. They're hostile. They don't believe the claims of Christianity. They don't believe the Bible. So this is where we live. We, on a macro level in the United States, we live among a culture that could care less or they hate us, okay? They could care less, or they hate us. I don't know which one is worse. So that's where we are on a macro level. Missionaries to this culture. How are we going to present the gospel, live as missional people in this culture? Let me narrow it down to a micro level. Let's talk about Logan County for a moment. We as a church get access to a company called Percept that gives um, churches demographic information. 
This is from the latest U.S. Census Bureau um, information from 2010. So I'm going to give you some statistics here, and I want you not to get caught up in the statistics, but there's a purpose behind this because I want to do some a little evaluation here in just a moment. But I want you to know the context of where you are living if you've never, if you've never seen this before. Okay, population of Logan County. 21,717 people live in Logan County. So just a little over 21,000 people in our, in our immediate area. 21,000. Okay. Population with no church involvement. 8,469 people. 39%, almost 40% of our county claims they have no church involvement. Okay. Next statistic. Population with minimal church involvement. And this can be minimal, like I attend like once a month. It could be a Catholic church. It could be a Mormon church. It could be whatever. 5,212, 24%. So if you take those together, you have almost 54% of our county not really involved in church. I don't know if you knew that. Okay, let's talk about some ethnicity percentages. This should be no surprise. Anglo, 81%. Black, 3%. Hispanic, 14 percent. We'll come back to this in just a moment. Percentage of population by age group. Okay, these are some statistics by age group. The largest segment of population in Logan County, which represents 30 percent of the population, is ages 9 to 28. So the largest population in our county is under the age of 30 right now. The second largest population, just right behind it at 28 percent, is age 29 to 40. So almost over half of our population is under the age of 40 in Logan County. I want you to think about that. The average age in Logan County is 38.5. I'm a little bit older. I'm 39, but I'm right in that mix. Now, let me give you three observations from these statistics. Questions? I don't have the answers to them. I'm just throwing these out as questions. Throwing these out as observations. Throwing these out as things that we need to start thinking about as a church if we're going to reach the culture that God has placed us in. Number one, there are over 13,000 people in Logan County right now who are going to hell. 13,000. If you take those statistics to be accurate, now statistics are known to lie at times, but you take the minimal church involvement and the no church involvement and you put them together. And I believe that when you take the minimal church involvement, I can tell you as a pastor's experience, there are people that come to church that may sit in the pew but do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So think about that in your mind. We have a mission field of almost 13,000 people in our county right now who don't know Jesus. How are we as a church, how are you as an individual going to live a missional lifestyle to reach them? Now, I'm not saying Emmanuel is the only church that's going to reach all men. There are many fine Bible-believing sister churches in, in Logan County, and there's enough lost people for all of our churches to reach them. But we need to start thinking about this large population of Lost people, 13,000. Did you realize that? Maybe in your, in your head you, you thought, you know, we were a pretty church culture. 13,000. Secondly, there's a large Hispanic population in Logan County. How are we as a church going to reach those with English as a second language? 
Now, my wife teaches in Arizona Elementary, and she could probably tell you how many ESL students are in there and how many ESL students are in our, our school system. But, but I don't know what God's calling us to do, but we have a lot of uh, 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 people of Hispanic descent in our county that don't speak English as their primary language. What is God calling us to do about that? Does it mean that we plan a church? Does it mean we partner with another church? I don't know at this point. I just know at this point we need to look at the fact that we've got a population of people that need to be reached with the gospel in their own language. People that speak Spanish are not going to come here and hear me preach. Why? They don't understand me. Okay? We need to have languages that people can understand. Thirdly, how are we as a church going to reach this younger generation? I mean, if, if, if a large majority of our population is under the age of 28, what does that mean for youth and children's ministry? I mean, we have a wonderful children's ministry under Marcy Adels. We have a wonderful youth ministry under Pastor Andrew. And there's just ripe days ahead for this large population of youth and children. But I want us to think about something even deeper. Look around the church for just a moment. What ages do you see? We have some college students right over here, 18 to 22-year-olds. You've got some 29, 30-year-olds with children. Who's missing in this church? Look around. 22 to 28-year-olds. There's a few of you out there. This is the lost generation of the church. Most churches in America are not reaching the 22 to 28-year-olds. But that's one of the largest populations. These are the kids. These are the kids. I call them kids. You just let let that land where where it lands. (laughs) These young adults who are having kids... And a lot of times they wait till they're in their 30s or late 20s before they come back to church. How are we as a church going to reach this population of young adults? Right now, I just, I'm scratching my head with questions. The only reason I lay this for you this morning with these statistics is to show you that here in Logan County, we have a mission field. We, all, we may think of India. We may think of Nicaragua. We may think of the ends of the world. And some churches say it's all about foreign missions. Some churches, it's all about local missions. For me, it's a both and. We are called to be missional no matter where we go. And the mandate is to make disciples of all nations, whether that means Logan County or that means the Bogota people of India. And so for this morning, I've just set the stage of what it means to be a missional church, a church that sees herself as on mission. Do you see yourself as a missionary to this culture? And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks is do a little experiment. If Jesus was sent on a mission and he has sent us on a mission, then do we see this being lived out in the rest of the Bible? Do you see it in Acts? Next week, we're going to look at Acts. We're going to look at where Paul deals with the situation where um, there was shock, where he experienced persecution. The following week, we're looking at another situation where Paul experiences ambivalence, where they don't care about his message. Then we're going to look at the epistles. Do the epistles, do the letters teach being missional? And then we're going to look at Revelation. Does even Revelation talk about being missional? Yes, it does. We're going to look at the whole New Testament, not all at once, but over the next three or four weeks to unpack what does it mean to be a missional church? What does it mean to be a missional person? So this morning, what I want to do is draw your attention to a video on the screen that I think will maybe synthesize a lot of what I've been talking about this morning about being a missional person. So let's draw our attention to the video.